<coughs> excuse me, Acts chapter 9, this morning in your Bibles, I welcome you. <clears throat> I just took a sip of water, it went down the wrong way. <clears throat> I could very well die up here. Here's my note, Zane, Bill, someone. <clears throat> it's a delight to uh, have you this morning in God's house. Um, it is a absolutely gorgeous day. I fell to sleep last night. I was reading in Scripture. I believe it was in Galatians. <clears throat> I woke up this morning. It's not that uncommon. I said to Wendy, I said, honey, I, I got an entire message in my mind throughout the night. And she looks at me. She knows me very, very well. And she goes, you're not going to preach it this morning, are you? <laughs> Such a balance. Thank you, Lord, for the balance of my wife. Maybe at some point, but not, not this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, honey, for that great instruction and wisdom. Uh, God is doing some neat things. Uh, I'm excited to hear uh, how God is going to bless through the men's ministry. Uh, I saw that in the front page of the newspaper this past week. Praise God for that. Uh, I appreciate the Reams as well. What a sacrifice. A lot of work for their whole family, uh, and to send that off to the Montais. What a blessing that is going to be. And good reports last night from the uh, Guatemala missions team and all of those that worked hard. Thank you for that. All of these things, as a tiny little offering of the little bits and pieces that we have to the Lord, worshiping uh, through song this morning and leading us. All of this, all of this, and we just offer it, Lord, this is us, and we give this to you because we love you. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time as we look into his word this morning. Father, I thank you. I, I praise you, Lord, for who you are and all that you have done. Lord, I, I thank you that none of us are deserving of your grace the forgiveness that you extend to us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that abides and awaits even at this very moment to work in our lives through your word. Thank you for that. God, I would ask that this morning that, that you would soak me with your spirit, that my words are not mine, but are yours and are yours alone, and that this entire time as we open up your truth to us would be focused on you and would be to your glory. Father, that we would understand the responsibility that, that now rests on our shoulders to be hearers and doers. Father, I, I pray for people today that are even at this very moment in your house on your day and perhaps they do not have a personal relationship with you through the work of Jesus Christ. They have not received the gift of salvation, the gift by grace through faith. God, I would ask that this morning would be that day that they accept you. For those that are here today that are struggling, discouraged, disheartened, Lord, lift them up. I grace this place as we had a song earlier 
teaching us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be proclaimers of the truth of the gospel and help us to do that with great care. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> I have um, had the privilege one point of, of standing with our family on the south rim of the Grand Canyon and watch the sunset. Some of you may have had the opportunity of doing that. It's one of those sites where you, you try you try to adjust your eyes to the distance and to the depth and to the array of colors. And you take your camera and you put it away because your camera can do nothing in light of that. Um, I have stood and and felt and heard the absolutely thunderous roar at Niagara Falls and, and felt the spray soak your face. Some of you have, have experienced that. Some of you have stood on the beach and looked out over the Atlantic or over the Pacific and you feel, you feel what? So, so tiny. You've taken a blanket and you spread it out on the grass at night and you stare up into the stars and what? This array of beauty, of majesty that God has given to us to enjoy. And we feel so tiny, squinting at the sun. And there's, 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 there's this point that we come in contact with that which is God's handiwork, and we realize how tiny and how small and how insignificant we are. All, all of those pictures that perhaps you have in your mind at this very moment, all of those pale, tiny in comparison to us coming into the presence of a holy God. We are sinners. Our heart is desperately and deceitfully wicked. All of the splendor of watching God's creation and yet how tiny it is when we recognize our own sinfulness. And we come face to face with a holy God. In a sense, that's the story that we are reminded of today through the testimony of this one Saul, later to become the Apostle Paul. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, face to face. And he is reminded he thought he was a great man doing a great thing, but he was reminded of his own brokenness and his own inadequacy and his own insufficiency. He realized how tiny he was. I have found that people who, who are transformed, whose lives are completely changed because they have come face to face with God... We cannot but help but speak about this. We can't stop telling others about the God that we have met, the God that has changed our lives. Today in our text, Saul adds proof to this. Do you remember the whole story? Just by way of quick review, Saul riding into town, what, breathing, threatenings, and slaughter, 
breathing murder against the church and this bright light. He falls on his face. He meets Jesus and he finds out who's really in charge. And he utters this word. Lord, what is it you want me to do? He was one time high and mighty atop his horse and now he's flat on his face. Lord, what is it you want me to do? He is blinded. He is led by the hand. He sits in darkness, weeping and praying. And then we looked last week about one steps from complete anonymity, one Ananias who touches him, heals him, restoring him physically and also spiritually. We pick up with our narrative in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. And let's look at the next little segment for us to learn. I want to actually read the last phrase of, of verse 19. It says this, For some days he, speaking of Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. Some days. We don't know exactly how many days. Verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Immediately. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard Him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has He not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. But Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him by the, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 31, what a beautiful verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. First point I want to give to you this morning that we see Saul speaks up about what he knows. Saul speaks up about what he knows. He cannot remain silent like any one of us who have ever come face to face with the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, reminded of our own sinfulness, our shortcomings. And yet we are loved and forgiven and we are extended the gift of redemption. He cannot but speak up about what he knows. He has to do something. So what does he do? He goes to the very heart of those who need to know the truth. 
And he lets them know of God's miraculous intervention in his own life. And the offering, the accepting of grace, forgiveness from sin in his own life. We want to mark the footsteps to the narrative here with a couple key words. The first one we see is Saul preaching in verse 20. It opens up by telling us a word that will characterize Paul's ministry, soon to be Paul's ministry, with this word, Immediately, The old King James uses the word straightway. He made a beeline, what? To proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. Immediately, there's no moments of hesitation. I have recognized how great God is. And I must speak of it. He, what? With no, no pausing, no hesitation, no wavering, no indecision, no wondering. I don't know exactly how it's going to come out. He what? He gets down to business and he starts to preach in the synagogues what? That Jesus is the Son of God. Now imagine with me, you've got to work with me a little bit this morning. I know it's early, but imagine with me this this scene that is being painted in front of your eyes. You are in the crowd. In the synagogue. You know of this man. As a matter of fact, everybody knows of this man. You have heard about this one man, Saul, with this fiery reputation. He is well known because of his skill. He has a skill of hunting down. He is well known for, for, for having the severity of hurting those who claim to be followers of this one, Jesus the Christ. He's clearly known by everyone because of his animosity, his disdain, his distaste for the people of the way. But you notice as you're sitting with this crowd in the synagogue, as he stands up and as he steps forward... You, you realize that he's not exactly what you were picturing. Rather than this hardened, kind of irate, upset, harsh appearance, as he, as he walks to the front, there appears to be, how do we describe it? it it's almost like there's a quietness about him. It, it, it seems that that there is a resolve inside of him. There is a strength. There's a silence. Almost a peace. As he steps forward, rather than thinking of this hardened individual, it appears that, that he almost, even by his physical demeanor, it appears like he knows something that you do not know. That, that countenance is very, very clear. Rather than this scowl that you expected to see on his face, it's almost a smile. It's not a smirk. It, it, it's almost a smile as if something is bubbling up inside of him. He's certainly not a, a very attractive man. I, I, I kind of picture Paul, Saul, as, as kind of small, maybe maybe. Balding a little bit. His eyes seem a little bit irritated, almost red, swollen, 
and soar. And as he steps forward, you're thinking, okay, here it goes. Here's going to come the lesson on the top ten ways to inflict pain upon people who believe in Jesus the Christ. That's what you're thinking he's going to speak on. Three reasons to have a righteous riot against Christ-following cultists. Something like that. As he begins to speak, he goes to the law and he reads and you realize this man is not angry. Well, you think for a moment, well, he's going to get to that. He's going to build his case, right? But he reads passage after passage after passage of Old Testament prophecy. Perhaps he reads what? Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Perhaps he reads from Psalm 22. They pierce my hands and my feet. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. He reads Micah 5, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little, out of you shall come forth to me this ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting to everlasting. And he reads passage after passage, Malachi chapter 3 and Psalm 110 and Job 14, Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12 and Hosea. And you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not building a case here against Christianity. As he's reading Messianic prophecy, one right after the other, you realize he's actually building a case for Christianity. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I've heard of this man. This is not what I expected. Is he, is he crazy? Did someone, did he fall and bump his head? As you look around at the Jewish leaders, there is a look of horror that is coming across their faces. Something strange is going on here. Saul is what? Saul has become one of them? The Saul has become a Christian? What is the response? It says in verse 21, it says, All who heard him were amazed. The word is exostemi. They were beside themselves. They listened to him. They watched him. And they are what? They are struck out of their senses is the way that the word translates. They are in complete shock. They're rubbing their eyes. What's happening? They're, they're, what, what, what am I hearing here? This does not make sense. They even ask the question, is this not the man who has made havoc in Jerusalem of those who have been what followers of Jesus who have called upon this name is this not the one who has wrecked the lives they are in complete shock it's hard for you and I today to completely comprehend this idea this transformation of what the most zealous defender of Judaism is now becoming the most zealous evangelist of Christianity the same determination that he was, what, working and, and, and striving to destroy, it is that same effort that he will, from this point forward, seek to build up the church. Notice, and I love this, it's a great reminder for all of us. 
As he speaks, he does not even share his own testimony. And his testimony is a doozy. No reference of that. It says what? He proclaimed Jesus. It says what? He speaks about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he has an incredible understanding of Old Testament messianic prophecies that have well equipped him for this task. But at this, this point, it's all, it's all making sense to him. He sees it very clear. From this moment onward, he will always speak, as he later will write to what the church at Corinth, that he desires to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is his single message. He will trumpet that message throughout all of Asia Minor. Please know that Saul's preaching cannot, it cannot be explained apart from what? A miraculous intervention of God. A saturation of grace in his own life. Remember this. Upon salvation, God specializes. This is what God does extremely well. He delights in changing lives. You have at the bottom of your little notes, I want to read to you this verse from 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. This is the same man standing up here preaching in the synagogue. First time ever, same man who writes these words. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation because our lives have been changed. We are to shout from the rooftops fact that there is a message for every single person that they too can be reconciled. Although we are all collectively and corporately sinners, we can be reconciled to a holy God through the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same man writes those words. It's preaching this message. God specializes in changing lives. Ever hear of a woman? Probably not by this particular name. Norma McCorvey. Norma McCorvey. Your minds. You ever hear of a woman by the name of Norma McCorvey? Well, I met a Norma. She lived three doors down. She had this big, mean dog. It's not that one. Okay? Norma McCorvey was actually the plaintiff. She is known to us as Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in the United States in January of 1973. That's 40 years ago. Norma McCorvey is Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade. She was the plaintiff who was watched that particular time. She was a 21-year-old single mom, had one child, expecting another, and she was the one who brought this case. Since that, what? Since that time, more than 50 million babies have died. Our land cries out. And yet, do you realize it's that one particular woman who now has met Christ? In her own testimony, she says this, and I quote, Upon knowing God, upon meeting God, 
I realized that my case, which legalized abortion on demand, was the biggest mistake of my life. You read about me in the history books, but now I am dedicated to spreading the truth about preserving the dignity of all human life from natural conception to natural death. How does that happen? Someone comes face to face with a holy God. God specializes in changing lives. How does it happen that the pro-choice plaintiff becomes one of the loudest advocates for pro-life? Because God's grace is amazing. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit in people's lives shocks and changes. We see Saul preaching first and foremost. Secondly, we mark his journey by what? Saul growing. In verse 22, we read this very interesting phrase. But Saul increased all the more in strength. He's working out in the gym regularly. What does this mean? I I believe, I know that there was a short period of time, three days without food, and now he was being nourished. I think it has a portion to do with physical nourishment, but I believe far more important than gaining strength physically, this is a time of increasing in strength spiritually. His, His grasp of scriptures was becoming what? Tighter more firmly fixed. Later on it says what? He is able to confound the Jews in the synagogues proving that Jesus was the Christ. I I, I have an inquisitive mind. I ask questions constantly. And so I ask the question, how long of a period of time is this? He begins to preach and, and after a while it's marked that he's actually confounding the very teachers of the Old Testament. By way of investigation, we begin to say, okay, well, how, how long of a period of time is this? How long did he stay in Damascus? We're not exactly sure, precisely sure. We do see in verse 19 this phrase that there's some days, and then later on in verse 23 we read what? Where there's many days that had passed. We begin to dig and investigate. There's actually another reference in Galatians chapter 1 that, that Saul is speaking of this very testimony, this very point of history and his own testimony. And there's more details that are relayed in verses 16, 17, 18 of Galatians chapter 1. Realize what Saul does here? He says this in Galatians 1, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Wait a minute. I'm gaining strength physically and spiritually, but I did not consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem at that point to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Okay, well, there's something happening here in the text within the the, the narrative of Acts chapter 9. Within this few verses, there's actually what another portion that gives detail as to what's happening here. Sometime in this spiritual growth, of Saul, he goes out by himself into the Arabian desert. There's nothing out there. He consults with no one physically, which means he is what? Alone in the desert, spending time with... Do you ever spread your blanket out at night, lay on the lawn and look up at the stars and just spend time with God? 
I think that's what Saul was doing. In fact, be assured of this. Many of God's best servants will spend time in what I have referred to as a period in the Arabian wilderness desert. I forget who said it, but it's not me because it's way, way too good. It is doubtful that God can ever use a man greatly until he has broken him deeply. I think it was in this time period, three years, he communes only with his lords. Three years alone in the wilderness. And God makes him strong. God prepares him for ministry. God oftentimes, in every one of our lives, uses moments of solitude. We're waiting for this. We're, it's just There's no answer. We seem to have been put on the shelf for a while. I've been praying, I've been praying, and, and, and there's nothing happening. I'm in between jobs. I'm waiting to be moved. I'm waiting to be placed. And there's just silence. There's just solitudes. God oftentimes uses those moments of silence, of solitude, to, to speak to us and eventually to shape us, to shape us and to smooth us, to chip off our rough edges, preparing us to proclaim what has happened inside. You look at the people throughout Scripture that God has, in a sense, put on the backside of the desert for a while. Remember Moses, tending sheep? Midian. Remember David on the run? Elijah? Even Jesus spent time, what? Alone with his father in the desert. And now what? Now Saul, Paul. How, how, how about you? When we, when we begin to chart our spiritual growth, how about you? Do you realize that spiritual growth, growing, maturing, strengthening is God's plan for you? It's God's plan for you. Begin to right now even mark 2013. How is 2013 going spiritually for you? Let me ask you this question. How does 2013, it's what, April, mid-April? How does 2013 look different than 2012 did? How are you growing? How are you strengthening? How are you maturing? If, if you would say right now, well, 2012 doesn't, doesn't really look a whole lot different than this year. Last year doesn't look a lot different than this year. If, if there is no significant indication of spiritual growth, let me, let me tell you this with all honesty. You're in big trouble. Not ha, ha, ha. You got caught, you're in big trouble. No, you're in big trouble in the fact that what? You have a heavenly father who, who dearly loves you as a child and you are what? You are not growing. That is sad. God wants you to grow, to mature, to be stretched, to strengthen. A couple of weeks I have the privilege of presenting to the entire church body our, our vision, 2020, where we see the church moving. And I will tell you already, I will begin to prepare you to hear the words that you and I must be sick of our own spiritual shallowness. 
I, I believe that we must literally be, be nauseated over the fact that if we live lives that are neat, packaged, processed, predictable steps of faith, then we're missing out on God's plan for our lives. We need a church that is mortified, mortified, shocked by the fact that what? We not only show interest, but we are, we are, we are indulging in those things that simply do not matter a thousand years from now. We messed with this last year and we're messing with this this year. We have to be mortified at our own prayerlessness. We have to examine, we have to see what? What is different? Who are you presently touching with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Who are you bringing along? What are you reading? What are you memorizing? What are you meditating on? What is the ministry that you're involved in? Who are you praying for? How has God answered your prayers? We need to begin to look at those types of subjects. That's what's happening. As what? Saul is growing. Saul's preaching, Saul's, Saul's growing, Saul is escaping quickly. In verse 23, his ministry so infuriates the Jews of Damascus that they just want him dead. <clears throat> At some point, he makes it back to Damascus. He is now considered a complete apostate to the Judaizers. He's a renegade. We learn in verse 24, they're watching, they're setting posts at every entrance and exit to the gates. So he cannot get out. They want him dead. And we see that he is actually lowered down at night through a hole in the wall in a basket. Not a real, not a real glorious send-off here from the man who was riding high on his mighty horse. <clears throat> You'll quickly see, quickly see what? That Saul often endangers his own life. Why? For the sake of the gospel. And yet, what's kind of neat with all this is that he is completely safe in God's hand. Great challenge for me personally. I have wondered, would I endure hardship for the sake of the gospel? Would I allow my own life to be endangered for the sake of the gospel? We need to ask ourselves, will we, like Paul, fight to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Saul's preaching, Saul's growing, Saul's escaping. We look at the second figure that is key in verse, verse 26. Barnabas speaks out about what he sees. We see first and foremost that Saul speaks up about what he knows. Secondly, Barnabas speaks out about what he sees. Eventually, we know that Saul goes to Jerusalem. He meets with the disciples. Galatians 1 indicates it's primarily Peter and John. They're really the, the two that are there. Everyone else was either too afraid to meet him or they were out ministering, perhaps. It gives indication that the initial reception, as Saul finally makes his way to Jerusalem, is not a very pleasant one. It's not a very warm one. It's kind of, kind of packaged with this in verse 26. Everyone's afraid of this guy. Nobody wants to be around him. Do you ever walk into a party and all of a sudden everyone walks away from you? Little indication, you're not the most popular guy there. That's what Saul's facing here. And then from this, there steps a man in verse 27 who offers to every single one of us a lesson. I love these two words, but Barnabas. 
Nobody really likes him. Nobody wants him around. Nobody really believes him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared. He spoke out. Barnabas is the only guy who, in a sense, takes a, what, a chance on this guy. Interesting to note that that Barnabas, the name means son of consolation. My, my, my dad and mom had a, had a golden Labrador retriever named Barnabas. Because what? He just comes up and he just lays his, his head on your lap and makes you feel better. It's this guy. The Tony Byers and the Craig Brady's amongst us who were the Barnabas. Somebody could have a knife to Craig's throat and he would say, what? That's a really nice, nice, nice knife. Some, something, something. There's individuals like that. It's what this Barnabas does. He befriends Saul. He speaks on his behalf. And we know ultimately what happens. The apostles receive him. And they say, well, what's happening? What's going on? Let's hear your story. Well, I was on my way to Damascus. And I was riding. There was a light. I was knocked down and I heard a voice and I was blinded. And then there was this man, Ananias. I couldn't eat, couldn't see. And I was praying and and Ananias touched me and then I could see. And then I began to talk. You know, they hate Jesus, don't they? Don't you know that? And they're like, yeah, we know all about it. So I was like, well, well, they actually had to let me down over the wall in the basket. There was this basket, and they let me down over that. They want me dead. Like, yeah, we know that. They want us dead too. And Saul's what? Here I am. At that moment, there is a, there is a union. There's nothing less than the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They realize that Paul is... Saul is the genuine article. He is the real thing. They see as well because he is still very much a wanted man. They escort him to the seaport of Caesarea. From there, he makes his way to his hometown in Tarsus, near the southeast coast of Asia Minor. And our text concludes with this, 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 this phrase, this verse in verse 30. The whole, it just, it just shouts the entire study that we've been involved in, in the church in action. The church was built up. Walking in fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit and it multiplied. Let me hear you this. The church continues to get bigger and bigger and better and better. You cannot leash the power of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul shows us that. If you are here this morning and you have not met this one, perhaps you've been holding a three by five card as opposed to enjoying the real thing. You can actually today accept and receive this message of what? The fact that there is a holy God's not only loves you, but died for you, offered his own son to take your punishment. Perhaps this morning you have received that gift of salvation. You have met the Lord face to face. 
shout that. Straightway, go straightway, wherever it is. Go make the beeline. Spend time, what? Learning and listening and growing and see what God has in store for you as He allows the church to grow, to be multiplied, to become bigger and better for His glory. Father, thank You so much for who You are. I thank You, Lord, for Your love for us. I would ask God that You would give to us the strength like Saul, that You would give to us the clarity of mind and speech to be bold to speak in a way that You are pleased with. Help us, Lord, not to be satisfied with the snapshots of you, but help us, Lord, to enjoy your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.